0: Welcome to the Nimrod Outdoors Podcast, where we challenge and equip men, husbands, and fathers to become the spiritual leaders of the home. Let's dive right in.
1: It's time for war. Are you prepared to battle? This is more than a devotional. It's a training manual for the battlegrounds of the spiritual war that is taking place on your family right here, right now. It's time to quit giving the enemy the rights to your family and step into battle with full vengeance. You can learn more about The Hands of a Warrior, a men's 30-day devotional at NimrodOutdoors.com. Again, NimrodOutdoors.com.
0: Well, what's going on, guys? This is M.A. Dozer with another Nimrod Outdoors podcast, and today I want to dive into something that, uh, man, over the past couple weeks has just really been on my heart. Um, I actually, uh, just about a month ago, uh, attended a funeral for one of my good buddies' dads. Um, He passed away due to cancer, Um, and man, it was unfortunate, and it was sad, and I know it's just starting off kind of depressing, but... While I was at that funeral, um I was sitting there during visitation about an hour before service, and I was just watching all the people that came in to pay their respects. And man, I was I was amazed at the impact and influence this man had. But but what I was more impacted by was the diversity in which this man had impact. Um there were young people, there was old people, uh, there was couples, there was singles, there was uh, white people, there was black people, there was Hispanic people. Um, There was even a homosexual couple that came by uh, to pay their respects. Um, And I was just, as I sat there and watched this, the Holy Spirit began to stir into my own heart. And I began to think on, okay, the day that I die, Who's going to show up and pay respects, and and what kind of influence did I have in my life? Um, and again, this is not this is not to point back to me or point back to you individually, but it is to point back to the impact we had for the glory of God and for the kingdom of Christ in our lives. And no better representation of that than at our funeral, who shows up to pay respects. Um, And I was just blown away again by that diversity in which uh, the people showed up um, and and showed immense love uh, for this man. Uh, You know, he he was in the community. Uh, He was a business owner. He was a coach. Um, And so there was kids from or I say kids, guys in their 30s that were coached by him uh, in football and baseball and all this that came and paid their respects. Um, and they even when they talked about him, they said, you know, coach this or coach that. He was known as coach, uh, but then there was other people in his life that had no clue that he was a coach and talked about his uh, his passion for Mustangs and the Mustang Club he was a part of. But it wasn't it wasn't really about football. It wasn't really about Mustangs. It wasn't really about X Y Z of all why these other people came. It was that. In, in the midst of those things, in the midst of his hobbies, in the midst of his business, in the midst of the life he just lived out every day, he made an impact. So much so that people took time out of their day to stop what they were doing and come and pay respects to him. And man, it just, it, it really, it really got me to thinking of, you know what? What do we pay attention to in this life, and who do we pay attention to in this life? Um, and I want to read uh, from James chapter two, uh, verses one through one through nine, um, and it's called the sin of partiality. Uh, and as I sat there at this funeral and looked at man again, all these different types of people, all these different age groups, all these different social, economical backgrounds that came. It came clear to me that this man really didn't show much partiality at all. He was, he treated everybody the same. He loved his neighbor as he loved himself. Um, but in James, uh, chapter two, James is the brother of Jesus here, and he's talking, um, and it is kind of a um, a challenge for each and every one of us, especially us that call our names, call ourselves followers of Jesus, like. What impact are we having, and is our impact tunnel-visioned onto one individual group of people, or are we willing and able to show hospitality to everybody that comes into our sphere of influence? So James chapter 2 starts off like this. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man... If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and the poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, you have, you, have you not made the distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts?" Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the kingdom to be rich in faith in their heirs of the kingdom, which has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So here's the thing, and I read that and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense, Like, show hospitality to everybody, but do we actually do it, or do we get ourselves so sucked into a bubble in which... Everybody inside our bubble thinks the way we think, looks the way we look, does the things we do. Um, man, and in, in culture today, even in the church, um, man, I know community's huge and I know community is important. Um, but man, when I look at the church and I look at, you know, quote unquote the hot topic word in today's culture is small groups or there's um Uh, you know, I don't, there's activity groups, there's hobby groups at churches. And, you know, it's all engaged to get people uh, together to enjoy community. Um, And I get it, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I will say is when it is a, you know, let's say a motorcycle group meets every Tuesdays. Well, the motorcycle group is literally just one subsect of people. And if we look at small groups, and you know, a lot of churches do this, and I'm just going to tell you, I don't agree with it. There are small groups that are put together by age groups or by parents with kids. And so you have one small group that is all 60-year-olds and, and older, and you have another small group that is just 30-year-olds, and you have another small group that's just singles, and then you have another small group that has parents and kids all mixed together. Um, and so it's, you know, okay, you got kids, you're part of this small group. Here's the problem with that. That is not the body of Christ we just stuck a bunch of elbows together and a bunch of wrists together and a bunch of feet together. And guess what? If those things are not connected, then the body of Christ cannot do what the body of Christ was called to do. And so really my heart is when when I see any type of function within the church, whether it be small group, whether it be activities, whether it be whatever, I want to see a diversity that is there that you can't find anywhere else. Because Here's the truth of the matter. I I have a couple buddies up in North Carolina. Um, One of my buddies is a big outdoorsman, a hunter, a fisherman, uh, likes to be in the woods, likes to be outdoors. And another buddy of mine literally has... None of that. He, he doesn't care about any of that. I actually took him canoeing once and he was like, hey, I we got off the river and I was like, man, that was awesome. That was so much fun. Man, my soul's rejuvenated. And he was like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. Um, and so us three, you know, I have a lot in common with the guy that loves hunting and fishing in the outdoors. But as far as you know, life in general, this other guy that I'm friends with, I have nothing in common with him. But what's interesting is my buddy that loves the outdoors made a comment and he said, the reason why we can be friends and the reason why we get along is only because of Jesus. Because without Jesus in our lives, there is no connecting point and therefore we would probably never hang out. But because of Jesus, because we have a common bond in Jesus, we can connect and love on each other, and hang out, and be friends. And so, my the when we talk about the body of Christ, it includes kids all the way up to senior adults, and everybody in between. And so, we need to be careful, I feel like, as a church. If we are building these groups amongst the church, but these groups never reach into other groups, and they never overlap, and they never engage, man, we are really handicapping the body of Christ, because we just have a bunch of thirty-year-olds over here doing stuff, but the sixty-year-olds, you know, have have wisdom that they can impart to the thirty-year-olds, and the thirty-year-olds have youth and and uh, charisma that they can impart back over to the sixty-year-olds, um, and that's how the body of Christ works. And so, if you look at a group inside the church, and it is all one age group, or it is all one demographic, or it is all one economic status. I don't feel like we're doing our job as far as reaching out and reaching into the community and doing what God has called us to do. And so I think we need to diversify what we look like and who we interact with and what we do. Now, here's the truth of the matter, there's spheres of influence we need to be mindful of, and so if you are a white male and you're in a group or a sphere of influence in which does not have any uh, black or African-American people, you know, I'm not saying you need to travel outside of your sphere of influence or outside of your radius of what you do life on and try and impact those people because they're not in your sphere of influence. But If you are in a place that has the diversity of age groups and socioeconomics and different cultures and different races, you know, are we treating them all the same? Or are we basically just staying in our own little micro bubble inside the sphere of influence God has given us? And even inside the church, are we showing partiality? by getting inside or or allowing these groups to form inside the church that are very targeted to individual type things like activities or age groups or, you know, how many kids you have or, you know, anything like that. Are we showing partiality inside the church because all we ever do is engage in these groups in which we enjoy, we enjoy or everybody we know there will agree with us where everybody's in their same stage of life as us you know i i don't think that's what god and jesus intended with the church is that we are all segmented by age and demographic and race and nationality no we are called to be the body of christ which john three sixteen says for for god uh, for god so loved the world that he sent his son to die for the whole world like God so loved the world, not just a certain demographic or a certain age group um, within inside the world or inside the church itself. And so I think we need to be very careful. Are we showing partiality inside our own lives in regards to the gospel of Christ to other people? Now, do I believe that there are certain callings on each individual lives? Yes. I have some friends that I go to church with now that uh, feel like they are called to serve uh, people uh, inside Peru. I have other friends that um, are currently uh, overseas serving in Kosovo, and they feel like God has called them to specifically serve and minister to the people in Kosovo. And so, yes, there are those things where God gives us individual calling, but I guarantee you those folks, if they're in Peru and somebody that is not uh, from Peru comes up to them, they're not going to blow them off. They're going to continue to push for the, the gospel of Christ. Um, it's just God has placed them into a sphere of influence where mainly is of that demographic. And so they are, they are called out to that in that way. Um, But in regards to our lives and individual lives, as we walk through the grocery store, as we go through our daily lives, are there people that we see that we are more likely to engage in conversation and just regular day-to-day activity than other people? And And if we can identify that in our lives, first of all, James says that we are committing the sin of partiality. Second of all, if we can identify it, that's fantastic, because then we could go about fixing it. We could go about correcting or repenting from that sin of partiality. And let me tell you what, I'll be the first to admit, man, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of it. Um, even inside the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, uh, I am guilty of it. And my wife, man, convicts me all the time. You know, whenever we get a hunt going or we get people to sign up for a hunt, and when you sign up, I see that you sign up, and I'm gonna be honest, I do a little snooping, figure out who you are. I want to know how you heard about us. I want to know uh you know what you do for a living all this stuff and there are people that I look at, and I'm like, they're not gonna enjoy this. this is not their cup of tea and I begin to you know say, you know, really, these people over here would be better um better suited to come, but they haven't signed up, and in my mind, I start. Creating the sin of partiality, and even so, like inviting people like there are certain people that I'm more bent on inviting to a weekend like this rather than someone else but my wife has told me like it it's not up to you it's up to God and so therefore you know don't be afraid or don't be shy or don't be uh, commit the sin of partiality by not inviting somebody because you feel like it's not a good fit and in reality it has nothing to do with if it's a good fit or not. It has everything to do with them hearing the gospel of Christ and has God ordained that and put that and and made it to where they are called to do that.
1: If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out The Hands of a Warrior, a 30-day devotional specifically for men. Too many dads these days are complacent. They're watching from the sidelines as they leave their child's eternity in the hands of the world. Men are refusing to accept their biblical role as a spiritual leader in the home and are failing their families, their children, and their grandchildren. Why are the current generations fleeing the church in overwhelming numbers? Because too many fathers haven't prepared their children for battle, and the enemy is luring them away. The Hands of a Warrior is a 30-day devotional. It's short, it's simple, and to the point, just like these podcasts. So if you want something a little more hands-on, this is the way to go. You can learn more at nimrod.doors.com.
0: So, what does the Bible have to say about all this? What does the Bible have to say? I mean, obviously we read James and it says show no partiality. And, you know, can we look inside ourselves and see if we are showing partiality in our day-to-day lives with others and how we engage them? But what are what are some other scriptures in which the Bible talks about? Well, first Peter chapter four, verses eight and nine says this above all, keep one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, and then verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received gifts, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So here's the thing, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like, I'm not saying we grumble, but how many times do we have an opportunity to show somebody the love of Jesus, and we're like, ah. Uh, okay, I guess I'll do it because, you know, you called me to, but it's really inconvenient. It's not really, you know, something I want to do and whatever. No, but what, what what is being said here is we need to show hospitality and show love and show uh, brotherly affection without grumbling. We need to do it because, and we need to be excited that God has given us that opportunity to do it. Um, let's see, Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby somebody some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So here's the thing. Again, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Here's the thing, man, it's easy for me to show hospitality to people I know or even acquaintances. But what about showing hospitality to complete strangers, showing hospitality to people that you've never met, treating somebody that you have no clue who they are or their backstory with the same love that you would treat, let's say, your grandmother or your mother? Um, Are you willing to treat them in the same respect? And that's that's what, you know, is being said here in Hebrews is Show hospitality to strangers. And then in in verse three, it goes on and it says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Man, think about that for a minute. Like, remember those in prison. Well, for me personally, I think about people all the time and the Lord lays them on my heart. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray for them real quick. And I do a quick little five to 10 second prayer. And I'm like, Lord, you know, Watch over them, protect them, bless them. But do I remember them as though I am in prison with them? And this goes back to kind of scripture that says we, we uh, celebrate with those who celebrate and we grieve with those who grieve. Here's the thing. Do we remember them and do we treat them as if we are in the same situation they're in? Or do we get very self-righteous and we start being opinionated about someone's situation? Uh, Maybe they got themselves into a little bit of a pickle and we show them love, but at the same time, we're going to be very judgmental and, and try and, you know, tell them, well, if you had done this or you had done that or you had done this, no, what is this saying? It says, be aware of them and treat them as if, remember them as if you were in prison with them. So it's almost you know, if they're in the muck and the mire of the ditch, it's not saying stand outside the ditch and point at them and tell them, this is what you need to do and this is how you need to get out. It's it's literally getting into the muck and mire of the ditch with them, putting your arms around them, first and foremost, hugging them and saying, hey, there's this man named Jesus and he loves you. And then helping them get out of that muck and mire in that ditch, remembering them as they are in prison, like you were there with them. That's pretty amazing. Um, and then we, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, "For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. So here's the deal, we have freedom in Christ. We have got this freedom that the world cannot explain. But what is what is being said here is, Do not use our freedom for opportunity of flesh. So what did I just say about someone being in the muck and mire? How many many times do we sit there and we're like, we are free from the muck and mire. And so we're going to stand there and we're just going to point fingers and say, well, you should have done this. You should have done that. You should have done this. And we call it, what do we call it? Tough love. Here's the deal. I am very bent in my direction of my life on tough love especially with my kids. I can't tell you how many times I sit there and they do something stupid or they get hurt, especially when I've been like, hey, quit doing that, quit doing that, quit doing that. You're going to get hurt, quit doing that. And they do it anyways and they get hurt and they start crying. And literally I have no compassion in my heart and I just look at them and I'm like, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And here's the thing of the matter. I feel so good and justified then. Like I told you so. But that's not how Jesus or God treats us. Literally, how many times in our own lives has God sit here, sat here, and Jesus sat here and said, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do it. Don't do it. And yet we still do it. And yet they never sit there from their throne and point their finger and say, if you weren't so stupid, no. What What happened? We messed up life. We are sinners, and we all we deserve is death, hell, and eternal damnation. And yet, what does Romans 5, 8 say? But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in the muck and mire, Jesus came down from his throne, walked the earth like a man, and died our death on the cross for us. He got in the muck and mire with us. He wrapped his arms of love around us, and he showed no partiality. Here's the deal. He didn't come down to die just for one nationality or come down to die for just one uh, demographic or one economic status or one. You know, he didn't come to die for the religious elite. He didn't come to die for uh, the poor. He came to die for everybody, everybody, the whole world without without question, without partiality. He had nothing in his mind except for I am going to save mankind itself. And he treats the beggar the same as he treats the rich man. And that's what James was talking about. That's how Jesus treats us. When we walk through those gates, it doesn't matter who we were on this li- in this life or on this earth. All that matters is that we've surrendered our heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and we are treated equally the minute we walk through those gates. And yet, we were treated equally at the cross. Every man is equal at equal footing at the cross because the truth is we are all sinners. Every last one of us. It doesn't matter if you make billions of dollars while you're here on earth or you make thousands of dollars. It doesn't matter if you are a drug addict rolling in the ditch and it doesn't matter if you are a squeaky clean saint like Mother Teresa. Every one of us deserves death, hell, and eternal damnation. And so therefore, at the foot of the cross... We are all condemned to hell, except for Jesus died for us. And so there is no partiality inside the gospel of Christ, which is amazing. So if we continue to move on, you know, I'm thinking in the Bible of like times in which this was more practical, not just verses that people are saying, hey, show no partiality, show no, you know, uh, you know show hospitality to all. Well, what really came to mind was Acts chapter 9 Uh, verses 10 through 18, and this is the interaction between Saul and the disciple Ananias. Um, And so what has happened is Saul has been persecuting the church. Well, Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus and basically blinded him. And so we pick it up where now the Lord has come to Ananias and given him a command. And it says in chapter 9, verse 10 of Acts, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the streets called Straight into the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight." And verse 13, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and at the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. How many of us are Ananias in this situation where God tells us to do something, God pricks our hearts, and we're like, "Ah, I know about that dude. Nah, I ain't going to do that. I know about that, dude. And that's what Ananias is saying is, Lord, I have heard about many from many about this man who has done so much evil to your saints in Jerusalem. And what is God's response? Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. So here's the thing. In the body of Christ, or inside our pursuit of the Great Commission, if we show partiality, then we are again, handicapping the body of Christ because there are people out there that God has chosen to be instruments of His. Yet if we make our own decisions on who those people should be or where they are, man, we we are gravely mistaken because the body of Christ is diverse. The body of Christ is well that is filled with so much diversity. But yet we get so stuck up on tunnel vision of, well, these are my people, or this is what I'm called to do, or, or this is this. And, and when Jesus asks us to do something, do we sit there and say, yes, I'll go do it? Or do we sit there and make excuses of why it should never work and why, why it doesn't make any sense? Well, here's the truth of the matter. For Ananias, this didn't make sense because he's going to a man that literally has the authority to kill him for the faith he has but God says go because he has been chosen. And so even though things don't make sense, we need to move forward in the calling that God has given us because God's plan is way better than our plan and he has it all worked out. We just need to be obedient in his call. Well, the other the other story that comes to mind is John's or Jesus's interaction in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And in, Basically, we all know this story. So Jesus goes to a well and there's a woman there and she's in the middle of the day and you're like, well, why is she in the middle of the day? All the women come in the morning. Well, she's in the middle of the day because she is a promiscuous woman. She's a sinner. She has multiple past husbands and is still married to another guy now. Um, And so basically society itself inside her town has shunned her, has pushed her out. She is shamed. Uh, She is not allowed to, you know, be inside the circle. Um, And so right there, again, shows that they are showing partiality. But she's at the well, and Jesus comes to her and, you know, starts engaging her. But the amazing thing is, is that she is a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jew. She is a female, and Jesus is a male. And so in that day and age, that was not culturally accepted, and that was traditionally not accepted for a man to speak to a woman, and yet for a jewish man to speak to a samaritan woman and then on top of that she was an outcast it wasn't even like she was high class in society or a pillar in society she was considered lowly of the low yet jesus is sitting here engaging her like a daughter in christ that she is and loving her for who she is supposed to be and it would have been really easy if she was a you know a rich woman that had a lot of status in in society for someone to say, okay, well, we see while Jesus is talking to her. But what's interesting is, in verse 27, basically, the disciples return. And it says, just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Here's the thing. So even though the disciples didn't say, why are you talking to her? What verse 27 is saying is that they all thought it. And they might have talked amongst themselves, being like... What's Jesus doing? Like, why is he talking to her? Like, you're not supposed to be talking to her. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan woman. Like, that's against our Jewish tradition. That's against our Jewish culture. Well, here's the thing. The gospel of Christ pushes beyond tradition and beyond cultural barriers, beyond ethnic groups, beyond age groups. And it pushes forward so that a 14-year-old boy can talk to a 60-year-old woman and show the love of Jesus. It also shows us that a 60-year-old black man can talk to a uh, 13-year-old white girl in the gospel of Christ and make a difference. But if we all segment ourselves into little categories, I don't feel like we're actually being the body of Christ. I think the church is falling into the sin of partiality by, by in reality making these groups in which we all look the same and we all talk the same and we all do the same things that's not the body of christ that's not what we see here and that's where the disciples even had a hard time with this because they're like what is he doing why why is he talking to her but jesus saw past that and jesus saw this woman even though she was neck deep in sin as a woman as a as a daughter in christ and really saw her as God created her to be and that is to be loved and to join in to the kingdom of Christ just like anybody else. And so for me in my life as I continue personally these are struggles I have to struggle with in my natural bent of loving to, you know, engage with people that like what I like and, you know, do the hobbies I do and maybe think the way I think. But that's not what the gospel of Christ has called us to do. That's not what the Great Commission is. We are to not show partiality. We are to show mercy and love and grace to literally everybody that crosses our paths. And sometimes we have large opportunities where we have large gaps of time, maybe months, maybe years in order to show this to people. And sometimes maybe it's as simple as a 30 second interaction in a gas station while you're standing in line or holding the door open for somebody that you can show the love of Christ to somebody that doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't do anything like you. They are not anything like you. But yet Jesus himself at the at the well with that woman did something that does not make any sense to the culture and to the traditions that were around him at that time. And that's what we as Christ followers are supposed to do, is do things that are different. Because we are supposed to show the love of Christ to everybody. And so here's the thing, when it comes to raising my kids, um, in my previous podcast I talked about how I loved using, anytime we went out and you know there was somebody, a cashier or a waiter, I love specifically using their name, and I want to show my kids that a name matters. Well, the truth that comes along with that as well is I want my kids to know the body of Christ. Um, And so, yeah, we go to church, and they engage in our church. But where we live in rural Georgia um, is, you know— we're kind of in a tight little bubble. Um, we don't have a whole lot of demographic. Um, it's all kind of, I mean, it's all white. Um, there's maybe one or two black couples that come to our church, but it's not very steeped in a whole lot of biodiversity as far as ethnic groups. But one thing as a father, I want to make sure that I don't handicap my kids. And I want to make sure that I don't have the excuse was like, well, this is just where we live. This is what we do. You know, as a father, I want to provide love to my children through community. And that's just not community in which we live in. That is the community of the body of Christ. And if the body of Christ is made up of great biodiversity and great ethnic groups and great age groups, and, you know, it is, it is through the entire generations of young to old to all the nations of the world, then I want, to I want my kids to experience that. And so my hope is that I provide my children with an opportunity to experience the fullness of the body of Christ. You know, I want them to rub shoulders with people who love Jesus and people from all races, countries, backgrounds, economic status, and denominations. Now, that, might, that one right there may get a little hairy for some people because I know we get so focused on our denominations, and I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Catholic, I'm, I'm Methodist. Here's the truth of the matter is that there are people that Jesus loves and that love Jesus in every single one of those. And they are part of the body of Christ. And so if they're part of the body of Christ, I want my kids to know them, and I want the body of Christ to know them as well. So I want them to experience God beyond the bubble of influence that we have in our daily lives. And I want them to know God deeper and to see him work beyond the limits of our little Baptist church in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. I want them to know the God of the universe. And I want them to know the people that God calls redeemed. And I want the body of Christ to know my children. You know, as Paul said in Romans 12, five, so though, so we, though many members are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so here's the thing. One thing I love about overseas mission trips is yes, we go and we have a mission and, and we want to share the love of Jesus. But one thing I have found in my interaction with overseas missions is that I go over there well at, looking to pour the gospel onto another, you know, demographic, another um, ethnic group. And yet, every time when I come back, that mission trip has impacted me way more than I impacted anybody over there, because I'm fully understanding what it means with the love of God, where it says that that God so loved the world, didn't just so love a small sub subsect of people in rural Georgia. No, God loved the world, not just that God so loved just the United States or just North America. No, God loved the whole world. And man, let me tell you what: when you get into these other cultures, into these other and these other demographics, man, you you truly begin to comprehend and understand the vastness of our God and who He is and how much He loves. Not only me, but the world around me. And so therefore, if I am a new creation in Christ, am I going to stay in my old bubble? Or am I going to pop that bubble and be able to engage multiple different groups of people? Not only in my sphere of influence, but outside my sphere of influence. And maybe I have nothing in common with them except for our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And literally, that is enough. That is enough in order to engage people and show them love and show them hospitality for the gospel of Christ. So again, let's go back to my buddy's dad's funeral. And as I sit there and I I look at all these different people coming, age groups, economic statuses, races, nationalities, ethnic groups, Is that the impact I'm going to have? Or if you come to my funeral, will it just be one group of people? I feel like if we are called by the name of Jesus and it says that show no partiality and show hospitality to even strangers. Is that what we are doing in our lives? Or have we allowed ourselves to slowly fade and accept something that is not truly what god has called us to do and that's just living inside of a bubble living a safe comfortable life but not really pushing against the grain of society in order to engage people that are on the fringes or that may never have an opportunity to hear about the love of jesus because we are stuck in our traditional and cultural mindset of this is just who we are and what we do jesus himself push those boundaries even to the point of his disciples saying what what is this man doing but yet he saw that woman at the well as a daughter of Christ are we looking at people and seeing people the way god created them and that is children of god and they're loved and they have a place at the table in the kingdom of christ and are we going to take our time to invite them to sit at the table and feast Y'all have a great week. Y'all stay humble. You stay focused and you keep pressing forward. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Nimrod Outdoors, find us on Facebook or look us up at nimrodoutdoors.com. We hope you have a great day and we hope to see you next time.